You're listening to Music Tectonics. Hey everybody, this is Trister Neuer Jaeger, writer and strategist at Rock, Paper, Scissors, and I am, as some of you may know, the irregular host here at Music Tectonics. Today, I get to have a really fun conversation. Um, I'm joined by Jocelyn Pryor. Jocelyn has a really interesting background in record uh, retail and distribution. She started out in retail and worked her way up through chain retail all the way to distribution and wholesale where she has been working for the last 15 years. So I think we could fairly say that Jocelyn has seen it all and has watched a really, really interesting um, maybe in the sort of cursed sense, a very complicated time for record distribution. However, this has been a really interesting year we've been through in 2020. So Jocelyn, um, thanks for joining us today. And let me ask you how, at least in a professional sense, how was your 2020 at Amped? Well, first, let me start by saying thank you for having me. Uh, <laughs> and I really appreciate it. And I love that you're the irregular podcast because we are your regular <laughs> distribution company, right? So it kind of perfect. Uh, twenty twenty was wow, what a year! <laughs> and twenty twenty one is actually shaking out to be quite a year as well. Um, I feel like the entire world shifted in twenty twenty with um, the global pandemic, as did all of our businesses here in the music business, and so distribution was not exempt from that. Um, and kind of in the land of cognitive dissonance, we actually saw some really great things happen um, as a result of um, the changes in the business uh, due to a terrible thing, COVID. But, um, but we saw really amazing changes and shifts in the physical distribution business um, here at Amped. And so I would love to touch on those if, if I may. <laughs> yeah, let's go for it. I mean, one thing that you've mentioned to me before is the incredible uh, response of indie uh, record stores and indie labels in 2020 and how they've had this amazing run that nobody's expected. Everyone thought this was going to be a death knell for them. Labels and uh, independent retailers have made a transition and really made a huge leap. I mean, part in part thanks to music fans. I'd love for you to touch a little bit on that and um, Talk about that, you know, how that played out from the AMP perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So before we went into uh, 2020, a lot of indie retailers had either little to no e-commerce um, ability. And that was really strategic and by design. We were trying to get people into the physical brick and mortar stores. So for instance, record store day, everything was always done at physical brick and mortar. Um, and there was a real lock and key on um allowing stuff into the e-commerce space. Now, obviously there was the aftermarket and eBay and things like that, but um, that was always after the event. And so this year there was a massive pivot that had to occur. And so um, there had already started to be a little bit of a shakeup in, in the e-commerce side of things on the indie side of, of the world or the class of trade, if you will, um, with the advent of broad time, which is an, uh, um, e-commerce aggregator um, that is fulfilled, the back end is fulfilled by Alliance Entertainment. And so uh, this is an aggregator that um, basically skins a lot of e-commerce websites 
uh, for independent retail. And so the Indies can go on there and they can throw to, you know, the pick, pack and ship right there from Alliance Entertainment, or they can throw to their store inventory if they desire to. Um, They can also throw up different types of marketing and stuff like that, but they have this really viable and far more sophisticated ability to have e-commerce than a lot of these guys had the ability to do prior to COVID. So when the lockdown hit and everybody was like, holy crap, we're having to close all our stores. What do we do? All of a sudden, within a very short amount of time, I want to say before COVID, and and I could be a little bit off on these numbers, but I want to say there was probably about um, 50 to 60, maybe 70 stores, indie retail stores that had e-commerce through broad time already. And within a matter of a week or two, uh, broad time just jumped right on into action and started loading up stores left, right, and center. And so now today there's about 130 stores that have uh, e- e-commerce who did not previously have it um, through broad time or, well, uh, there's about a hundred, I guess I should say, but there's 130 stores in the broad time network altogether and they're always growing as well. And so that means that all these retailers who didn't previously have the ability to sell online, much less if your store is closed, have the ability to pick, pack, and ship, um, all of a sudden had this opportunity. So, and as we know that during the course of the pandemic and the sh- and the closures and the you know each municipality was different, but you know if you could or couldn't go into your store, there was always this big push to like keep your independent retailers alive. You saw chambers of commerce, you saw mayors, you saw everybody talking about you know, keep these guys alive, like make sure they're there when this thing opens back up. And so you saw people wanting to support. And really one of the only ways to do it was to shop these e-commerce sites. The other really interesting thing that occurred out of this um, for indies was that um, when an independent store, a buyer at an independent store has a limited amount of cash that they can make a purchase on for their stores, you know, they have to be very selective. Well, now all of a sudden you have these independent stores that have this entire mass amount of inventory that they have access to for their customer base. And so we started to see interesting genres creep up and we started to see um, some additional, the, the ability to sell things that perhaps the store itself in the brick and mortar side would not have been able to stock before, but they now have that as something that they can offer to their consumers on the websites. And so we really started to see kind of a broader mix of product selling from those independent retailers as well. Um, and then the other piece that really just, and this covered more than just indies, but this was just the world across the world was that we saw vinyl sales explode. Now vinyl sales had already been exploding. This was not new to 2020. But what happened when everybody decided to have to, or when everybody went home and had to stay home is I think some of our human aspects of our humanity kicked in, you know, the, the senses, the touch, the smell and things like that. All of that came into, we, we got really elemental, let's put it that way. And so all of a sudden we started to see people really um, 
finding those creature comforts. And music is obviously a creature comfort for a lot of people. Music is the soundtrack of our lives in so many ways, whether it's, you know, the pinnacle, the love scene in the movie, or it's what you dance to at your prom or what was played at your wedding or, you know, all those kinds of things. Like music has been the soundtrack to our lives. And so when people needed comfort and comfort food and comfort to the soul and just nurturing and all that stuff, music was number one, right? We go, we sought out our favorite artists, uh, we jumped on their fan clubs. We watched their virtual concerts. They they carried us through in many ways. And uh, it was a time when people wanted to have that physical item that they could actually touch. We couldn't touch each other, right? We still can't really touch each other. We can't give each other hugs. We can't see each other. So one of the most amazing things is to be able to actually have something tangible in your home, which is a piece of vinyl that you can engage with and you can get up and you can literally like walk across the room, flip the vinyl over, engage with the cover art. It was, for some of us in a, in a certain age bracket, it hearkened on yesteryear for us and some of those things that brought us comfort then. And it also lent way to this whole new generation of people that are like, finally getting to experience this for the first time. We've all slowed down enough to actually have a moment in time to do that. Um, some of us took a vinyl player that we'd been sitting on out of a box and finally hooked it up in our homes. Like that was me. I hate to admit that. Um, I don't worry. I had one at my office. I just hadn't hooked my my brand at home yet. <laughs> no judgment. Was, no judgment. Yeah, that was something I did here at my house, and and you know had my own little listening parties, um, and worked my way through the vinyl collection that I have here at my house. So. Um, those are some of the things that we saw from the indie sector. And I should just, I would be remiss if I did not add this as well. The indies did some really unique things to get product to their customers. And I know we've seen like Carrie Colleton at Record Store Day and in some presentations out there, um, you know, with Music Biz or A2IM and things like that. We've seen her talk about this, but some of these indies did some really interesting stuff to get product to their cut in the hands of their customers, like having, you know, an indie store that has an upstairs balcony and they would use a dumb waiter to drop the product down. So somebody could pay online, swing by and boom, there's your vinyl on the sidewalk ready for you when you arrive. I'm, you know, the curbside service at a premium. So there was some really interesting stuff. And some of those things made the news and certainly helped to perpetuate the, the narrative of, Hey, support your indie, support your favorite artist. Here's how you do it. So um, that was another thing that indies really got got into it and, and did some really fun things um, around the music that really created stories and marketing moments for some of these artists and some of these stores. I love how you're uh, talking about the sort of relationship we have with vinyl and how important it was, the tangibility of vinyl and that physical experience. Also the marking of time, right? You have to get up and flip the record. It's not just this sort of endless wash of um, of, of lockdown pandemic time. And, you know, it, as you were saying, it accelerated, the, the, the lockdowns really accelerated these trends in both the, on the, both the digital side of music with things like live streaming, but also on the physical side. And that's, that's so fascinating. Um, but vinyl had its rough patches too this past year. I mean, 2020 pointed to some of the biggest challenges um, we face as an industry, uh, supplying fans who are desperately hungry for vinyl with the, the things that they want. So I would love for you to talk a little bit about um, vinyl's challenges and why it's so hard to get a record into the hand of a fan, fan at times. What are we facing? What's, what are, what's the transition that we're going through and what are the challenges that 
that um, manufacturers and labels and distributors are facing? Well, there's no shortages of um, <laughs> of things to slow us down and, and hurdles to jump. That's for sure. Um, in the manufacturing side of things, we've seen some significant delays, part and parcel to COVID. Um, we've had some district. We've had some manufacturers that have had to go offline for a short amount of time while they've, you know, recovered from COVID cases or things of that nature. We've had reductions in staff, as per certain municipalities or country, co- you know, countries' rules and things like that. Um, and that obviously means less output if you have fewer hands on it. Um, we've also seen some. Supplies shortages. So, you know, down to some of the either the colors or the beads, the the plastics and things of that nature. And so we've seen delays either in shipping and or just the ability to get the um the the, the supplies needed to create those those things. Add to that, at the same time, we've seen this huge influx in demand. So if you were ready to ta- to tackle the demand of last year. Uh, or excuse me, of of 2019, well, that demand, I mean, in some cases doubled in certain classes of trade, but it's definitely grown exponentially, if if not doubled in some areas. So it was kind of a perfect storm of what could go wrong. And then you have to also add to the fact that now we've got a clogged pipeline of delivery, right? So USPS, UPS, FedEx, everybody's bogged down because everybody had to migrate to shopping online. Um, And I will say this, and I was remiss in saying this earlier and answering one of your other questions, but I think that there were a lot of consumers that still had not moved to e-commerce. They didn't want to put credit cards online. They didn't want to shop online. That customer behavior has very significantly changed over the course of 2020. And so now that we have more consumers online, we have more titles available for consumers to consume online. Uh, the demand has, of course, naturally gone up, not to mention the emotional factors and all those sorts of things, right? And even the fact that more artists are putting vinyl out. Um, so uh, the, the challenges are great when it comes to manufacturing. The lead times are astronomical. We're talking six to nine months in most cases. Reorders are equally as long. And so it's been quite a challenge to, to weather those storms. And because of that, people like ourselves, like Amped Distribution, has had to really jump in and act fast with regards to looking at, okay, what's our methodology to our IOs or our IS, our initial ship numbers? And what, what are our expectations and projections? And we've had to really go back and relook at that. Um, we've also had to go back and um, look at color variants and you know, there's more accounts looking for exclusive versions and variants that are out there. This has become quite a thing. There's, it's not just in the collector's market anymore, but there's a lot of accounts that get some kind of a variant. There's usually a D to C version, and then there's the regular version, and then there might be a cassette version at at, at a particular retail. And one of the subscription clubs might have a variant. And then we have an indie exclusive or a record store day version or those sorts of things. And so all of a sudden, that just adds units and units and units to the mix. So if previously we thought we were going to sell, you know, 5,000 
of the black vinyl, well, now you've just added another, you know, 500 units on cassette. We've added another, you know, 2,500 for indies or 5,000, depending on the title. You know, we've added all this additional demand. And again, when we're talking about variants and stuff, we're always making sure we're not cannibalizing our current sales, right? So the strategy is to expand the reach with variants. That's what the strategy should be with variants. And so because of that, we've had even more units that we need to manufacture, which mean even even longer lead times or even even harder to get that product manufactured. And then once it's manufactured out of those DCs and then moving through the different distribution pipelines, right? So that's the other piece that's been challenging. Now, thankfully, the US government specifically um, saw that um, supply chain is part of essential is an essential piece of our economy, particularly when they realized that um, the majority of people in the U.S. were purchasing stuff online. I think I actually just saw something today that said more than sixty percent of e-commerce in two thousand twenty was from Amazon alone, and I want to say it was like eighty percent of e- all e-commerce was across. I want to say it was like ten to fifteen um, uh, retailers. Um, but that said. There's this huge amount of retailers that came online for the first time ever and started um, transacting in 2020 as well that attribute to the the rest of that number there. So there's so much more um, demand and which means obviously manufacturing now has even even larger um, hurdles to jump over. Yeah, I want to back up just for a second, Jocelyn, and talk about some of these variants you're talking about. I think it reflects a strategy that has that isn't discussed very widely, but seems to be, as you're saying, being put into practice by artists and their management teams and by labels. So tell me, why do you know? Are people making like ten different colors of vinyl and releasing it? What are what What are you seeing as far as general trends in terms of this sort of wide range of different things that's in our same release that has a bunch of different bells and whistles? And this is where I have this is where I now have to say you really need to make sure that you've got a really good. Um, distribution partner. And this is one of the areas where Amped really excels is to help create a strategy for your titles. Every label at this point should not be making these kinds of decisions in a vacuum. And if you're using a model or a metrics of some prior, some titles that you were using a year or two ago, you're severely outdated in your, in your model and in your strategy, in your plan to make a strategy that's severely outdated if that's what you're using. Um, so to have somebody like an amped on in your corner, you're going to have all the insights that you could possibly want. And then some, and that's where the rubber meets the road. Since we have the access and the direct line of contact to all of the retail accounts and of which there are thousands and thousands, and I'm just talking in the U S not to mention the rest of the world, which we all also, you know, deal with um, or distribute to, I should say. Um, I mean, you could have a strategy. There's there's a demand enough, I should say, from the, there's an appetite enough from the account bases that you could have 10 or 15 variants. Now, I would caution you and tell you that's probably not a great idea because at some point you will start to cannibalize your own efforts. And that's something that you don't want to do. So there is... You know, in some cases, there's a model of scarcity, especially on large priced items where it's, you know, numbered deluxes or things like that. There's there's some strategy that you will want to employ around all these things. Um, But what you don't want to do 
on on a variant is you don't want to cannibalize yourself. So you really have to look at it and scrutinize the title and look at the account bases. And again, depending on who the artist is and their history and what genres we're talking about and which account bases are asking for exclusives and what their sellability is and all those sorts of things. There's like a number of different factors that go into that. And that, again, is really one of those things that if you don't have a good distributor who has all that data and all that information, you're going to be left, you know, on a hope and a prayer, just shooting blanks or hope, throwing stuff against the wall and hoping it'll stick. Um, and not really sure if you've got your numbers right. Not really sure if you've got all the accounts that could be or should be covered, covered. And that is a pretty terrifying thing if you're talking about um, trying to print uh, or, you know, thousands and thousands of records. Um, you mentioned genres. That's something else I think that's come up with a lot of really interesting genres that previously just weren't big areas where vinyl was popular. Can you tell me what you're seeing? Yeah, well. So the vinyl business has, has been shape-shifting so much in the past year or two that, you know, not only do we have genres that previously did not have a lot of consumers, or when I say previously in the last like decade or so, uh, didn't have many consumers that purchased either physical or didn't purchase vinyl in favor of CD, they, they favored CD instead, uh, we're starting to see more and more of those things trend towards vinyl. Now, bear in mind, we're still selling a boat ton of CD. So CD is not dead. Don't let anybody tell you that. Those that are, are prematurely killing that because it's not dead. People are still buying CDs for sure. But that said, we have seen some growing trends in in some genres like metal, for instance. Metal, there's definitely a growing vinyl consumer out there, particularly those that um, you know are compelled by the artwork or are compelled by uh, being a fanatical fan of a certain band, and they want everything that's associated with the band. And so some of that is coming out of that, the, the heritage artists specifically. Um, we're also seeing you know, subgenres that are coming out, like a subgenre of jazz, like the new jazz sort of stuff that's coming out, like the alpha mists and stuff like that. Um, that, that the U that's a kind of a growing trend from like the UK jazz scene that's coming over. And, uh, we're seeing a lot more of that coming out on vinyl. It's a little bit of a different consumer than your straight ahead jazz consumer. And, um, and so they're very interested in that. Um, but then you also have interesting things like genres that are emerging right now, and it's anybody's guess how long it's going to last. So sea shanty music is a really good example of that. Okay, we know that it takes six to nine months to get a piece of vinyl, uh, you know, manufactured into the pipeline, solicited and into the hands of consumers, right? So if it's going to take that long is sea shanty music, which has a huge demand right now. Let's face it. Everybody's talking about it. There was an SNL skit what was it, two weekends ago, um, about sea shanty music. You know, it's all over TikTok. But is that going to last? Is that like a fleeting thing? Are people going to spend a big wad of cash to put sea shanty music on vinyl? That's a question. It's a question to ask. How long do we think it, there's got to be some predictive or some predictions in there, right? On is this going to be a thing that's a, or not? That's a super that's fascinating point about vinyl is because of the lead times, it can't really, it's got to have a different um, sensitivity to demand and to trends. It can't just be like what's hot right this second. It's not going to make any sense as a business strategy. That's fascinating. 
Yeah. And it's where you can really use, um, you can use the digital information that we have for the digital product to kind of keep your eyes on trends. How long is it going? You know, is it continuing to go? Are we still seeing that rising? I mean, I know Spotify did a, a big press announcement last week and, um, they were talking about, um, the appetite for world music here in the U S this is new. This is not something that we've seen. We've seen it in major urban markets. I mean, you know, I could tell you, you know, 25 years ago in record retail, if you were in New York, if you were in LA and Hollywood and some of the larger stores, yeah, there was huge um, amounts of demand for world music, but when you, or, you know, imported music, but, you know, in, in the larger part of the country, that was not, there wasn't a huge demand for that. Well, we're seeing this, these, um, the younger generation is crossing the borders with their musical tastes and, and so much so that Spotify was announcing some of that stuff last year. And we're seeing that in the physical space as well. You know, Amped just supplies, um, the U S with a lot of UK label product and, um, and or African product, for instance, there's a huge Afropop scene growing in the U.S. right now, and that's only going to get bigger and bigger and more diverse. And so and then the subgenres and the subgenres and the subgenres, right, those are going to continue to grow as well. And we know that we've seen a steady increase in that year over year um, and then kind of a huge explosion now that you've seen the digital side explode. You've got digital being utilitarian. So people are exposed to stuff. And now they've become really big fans of certain artists. And now they're like, I need everything about that artist. I need all their merch. I need all their product. I need anything physical. I need the posters. I need all the stuff, right? Let's take a quick break and then we'll continue this awesome conversation. Hey, I love meeting Music Tectonics listeners at our events and I wanna make more opportunities for you to meet and connect. That's why I host a Music Tech Conversation on Clubhouse, the audio-only social platform everyone's talking about. No, not the only audio social platform. Everyone has one of those these days. Meet up with me every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 11 a.m. Pacific or 7 p.m. in the UK. Every week is different and anybody could drop by. So join us. Follow me on Clubhouse at Dimitri. That's at D-M-I-T-R-I or the Music Tectonics Club, which you can find in the search there. See you on Clubhouse. So it's been a really, really exciting uh, last couple, you know, like about 18 months or so. Um, I wanted to ask you what you thought about what the year ahead holds. So 2021, um, things are going to be opening back up or already are opening back up in some localities. How are things looking from your perspective in terms of distribution, vinyl, cassettes, all that fun stuff? I think the rest of 2021 is going to be a really exciting year. Um, we've, we've got some hurdles here in the first half for sure. Um, but I know that, you know, we at Amped, we've really positioned ourselves well for uh, Q4, Q3 and Q4. So we're talking now about the correct quantities to manufacture for stuff that's coming out later this year. And I think that we're going to really get it nailed and dialed in. And so I'm really excited about that. Um, and I'm also excited about a lot of the new retail that's coming on deck. So, you know, obviously the big boxes have moved into the vinyl game in a big, more meaningful way. So you've got, you know, the Walmarts and the targets of the world in vinyl and Best Buy and, you know, Barnes and Nobles in it. There's a number of bigger retailers that are, that are moving 
into that space in a more meaningful way and expanding on that. But you also have a lot of new retail that's that's coming online as well, a lot of subscription services and really highly curated sort of stuff. So, you know, it's one thing that, you know, a lot of people can go and search for stuff on Amazon, but Amazon is really hard for discovery um, when it comes to some of those like smaller genres and, and things like that. And so having those curated type of retail sites is really an exciting space to be in. And I think we're going to continue to see the rise of some of those new product lines or genre or not product lines, but genres. Um, and you know, TikTok is still, you know, it's still pretty new for all of us in, in the world of music. And, you know, we've seen stuff like the sea shanty music come out of it. We've seen some additional um, genres that are starting to spring up from there. So I think that we'll start to see some of those kinds of fads and trends that come out of there. Um, and we'll see how much of that takes hold. Uh, the world of K-pop continues to descend on the U.S. and uh, only grows bigger and bigger. Um, and so that's going to be an exciting space to watch as well. And uh, so I really think that, um, you know, you've got, we've got the distribution pipeline down padded amped. That's, that's, that's our core competency. That's what we do. We've got more retailers coming online. Um, and while people start to get back to work, um, and maybe back to the offices and possibly even by the you know middle to end of this year, we'll start to see some live concerts come on deck, I, albeit probably easing into that space slowly. Um, I think that there's going to be even more room for physical products because part of the touring industry is selling your, your wares at on tour. You know, people want your merch. They want your vinyl and, and CDs. They want to have the experience to see you and, and have you autograph stuff. They want tour editions and things like that. And so we'll have that ability as well. That'll come on deck. So really it's all growth at this moment in time. We're seeing the customer behavior has changed in a significant way as a, as a result of 2020. And I think that some of those behaviors will carry on well after um, COVID is a thing of our past. That's great. And that bodes really well for small labels and artists. And um, a lot of the people out there uh, that a lot of us really care for and are rooting for. Um, thanks so much, Jocelyn, for taking the time to explain uh, what's, you know, a part of the business that's vitally important financially, but it's often, you know, brushed over a bit in general terms. So thanks for getting granular with me and telling me a bit about how you see the world. Thanks so much for having me. This was great. I love to talk about this stuff anytime. <laughs> awesome. And thanks everyone for listening. This is Trister New Year Jaeger signing off. Hey, if you're intrigued by what you're hearing, check out the show notes for this episode at musictectonics.com slash podcast. We've gathered links so you can learn more about today's guests and dig into the hot innovations and trend-setting companies we mentioned. While you're there, you can check out past episodes and learn more about Music Tectonics events. Sign up for our email newsletter to stay up to date with everything we do. Hey, thank you for listening to Music Tectonics. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Become a part of the Music Tectonics community, a social network just for music tech aficionados like you. It's free to join. Use it on the web at app 
www.musictectonics.com or find the mobile app for Apple and Android devices in the relevant app stores. Connect with people from all corners of music and tech, answer the big question, and meet me there on Together Tuesdays. There's more about the community app, this podcast episode, our annual conference, and our newsletter at musictectonics.com. Peace! You're listening to Music Tectonics.